You're listening to the Jesco Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wyatt, from the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. And I'm TJ Jeskowitz with Ragbri. This is the podcast where we talk about bicycles just for the fun of it. There's going to be tales from the Ragbri Nation. We're going to be joined by guests each week to talk about the social side of cycling. So come for the bikes, stay for the fun, leave with a smile looks like this is episode number 11 am i right tj yeah 11 can we're you, in the double digits can you believe it so all right well you know it's also it's springtime and you know what that means you know winter's it's over time. supposedly <laughs> you never know in in the midwest if you're going to get a uh, one of those nice interesting april snowstorms or perhaps may storms we've even had one i think uh i remember one that hit mother's day kind of weekend so that's uh, always a possibility but you know what when we get to springtime that means more people getting out and getting on their bicycle how's your riding going you know, I'm on my second cold of the season, so uh, I uh, I had a trip to St. Louis this weekend uh, for a family thing and, and uh, came down with a cold on the way back, so oh. I haven't ridden too much. Tomorrow I'm going to ride to work. I got a, I got a free day that I can... I don't have to travel anywhere here in Iowa City, so uh, so I'm going to ride across the river to Coralville and, and uh, bike to work, so that'll Good. be nice. And I've been getting a few miles on my bike, just, um, you know, it's always good to get out and just feel that, that fresh air in your lungs. But um, my bike computer went down and you know what? I really didn't care because I was just out and not on a trainer in my basement. I was just out, out riding again. And, oh, it's just such an exhilarating feeling to get out and starting to see a lot more people out on, out on the roads, out on the trails. And it's just fun to get out. So. Well, that reminds me, I'm, I'm going to have to charge my Garmin before work or, or tomorrow. I, uh, I got a brand new Garmin this year. So now it's, uh, now it's remembering to charge it every time oh. before you go out. Yeah. Well, good. Well, we got lots of interesting things coming up. I think we are cruising along on our event that we are working together. The Iowa Bike Coalition, RAGBRAI, and the Blue Ribbon Bacon Festival getting together to put on the first time ever event called Pigtails. And how's registration going for that, Mark? You know, you're not going to believe this, but we have more people registered for pigtails than we do the Bacon Ride. Wow. We're, we just broke 600 on pigtails, wow. and uh, Bacon is, is 514. So, uh, you know, both is, both is I think, about where we expected it to be, and it's going to be a popular event. Right. I just met... I just met with the Prairie Trail folks the other day to shoot a little video. It was actually snowing, <laughs> and it's not going to be that way in May. No. So, no. Yeah. Well, that's great. So we're figuring close close to a thousand people that are you know pretty much women specific ride on pigtails, just doing things to get more people out biking. That's what what all these events are all about. I mean, I think we're here for the fun of it. This podcast is for the fun of it. So if we can get people out on two wheels, three wheels, whatever it takes, get them out on human powered bikes. That, that's what it's all about. Exactly. Exactly. And you don't have to do an event to, to be out there and have fun. I mean, it's an everyday sort of activity. So, but we do have some fun events, I will say. Yeah. And that's, you know what, I think more people throughout the country, if they take that to heart and just say, you know what, cycling is a fun activity. I mean, it is a sport and it could be, you know, uh, um, I, I guess, a, you know, just a complete suffer fest if you want. But you know what? 
the ones that, that I've run across just really enjoy biking for the fun of it, the social side of it. And the stuff that we talk about on this podcast are just getting out and having fun. And, um, you know, again, when springtime comes around, you start hearing, hey, who's going down to the coming tap this week? Or who's going, who's riding out to the flat tire or any of these other places along the way? And, um, you know, it's just a great feeling instead of just being the only person um, that did a little turnaround 40 miles out at, at a at a pub or something like that. All of a sudden, you can't get a seat uh, in the place because it's packed with cyclists. Those, those are some good feelings. And, you know, you know, the, the buds are going to be on the on the trees pretty soon. And all that snow is going to be gone. And boy, that's a fun time of year. <laughs> it's going to be perfect. I think uh, I think it was your your uh, your predecessor who said if it if it's not fun it's not worth doing that's right uh, yeah that's yeah greenyism. yeah good old greenie so uh, no it's good it's always good to bring up greenie so um well good so where are you at today mark i'm over in decora iowa have you ever been there oh decora and um, uh once or once or twice yeah. um the the nordic capital up there is that yeah, we uh, just just cruising along for some meetings over in northeast Iowa. Just just beautiful, the Driftless region, basically where the glaciers didn't come through and flatten everything, and it makes it a nice bit of area for riding. So um, so it's yeah, just great to be over here and getting ready for some ragbri meetings. And you back at home? I am I am at home. Uh, we had a quick family trip to St. Louis and and then uh, came back home. Uh, Came back home on Sunday and and uh, went to work today. I actually stayed at work in Iowa City. Didn't go to Des Moines. Things are things are kind of percolating at the uh, at the capital, so I don't have a lot of need to be there right now. Well, I know we got some interesting stuff on the show. I think we're going to talk to Sarah Cooper uh, today, and she's an ultra cyclist. But uh, before we forget, just wanted to put in just a word of thanks to the sponsors that help make this podcast possible. And there's just three of them. Primalware out of Denver, Colorado. Uh, I'm going to see our good friend Dave Edwards pretty soon. So we're going to spend some time with him at the Bike Leadership Conference. And then we also have Bikes to You, a bike shop in Ragbride Charter in Grinnell, Iowa. And of course, the Iowa City Coralville Convention and Visitor Bureau, who hosts great events like Grand Gable and also the World Cup of Cyclocross and coming up this fall. So just thank you to those sponsors to help make this podcast possible. You know, and you also have a deadline coming up uh, before we're going to air this uh, April 1st. Isn't that the big day? You bet. The Ragbri week-long uh, rider registration deadline happens April 1. It's happened April 1 since, I guess, Ragbri was uh, conceived or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so we're, we're expecting a full house with the route we've got this year. People are just absolutely going bonkers over this route. So looking forward to that. Make sure you get your registration, get into the lottery. So April 1 is the deadline. That's Saturday. Don't be calling the office on Friday <laughs> at midnight and saying, hey, can, I, can you help me with my registration? So, Get it done. Uh, the girls in the office, Mariah and Linda, have done a great job of getting everyone registered. They love talking to people. So if you're having problems, just don't be afraid to, to give them a shout or give them an email. They'll help you out. Okay, I'm on that list. I need to uh, I need to get my <laughs> registration in. So yeah. I won't forget, I promise. All right. All right. Well, everyone, don't, don't wait to the last minute. So, hey, let's not wait for the last minute. Let's get to the show coming up with Sarah Cooper and Just Go Bike Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to the Just Go Bike Podcast. Listeners, this is Kyle Munson, 
And we're here uh, at the Kyle's Bike Shop. It's not my bike shop. There's another Kyle that owns and operates this. But I'm sitting here with Sarah Cooper, who is a bicyclist extraordinaire. And I'll let her explain that. Um, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so what's your first memory of being on a bicycle? Oh... Gosh, I don't remember the very first memory, but I remember when I was probably 10, I got my first 10-speed bike, and um, my parents gave me this bike and basically turned me loose back in the 80s, you know, when nobody wore a helmet, and I would just ride all over the city just for fun. What city was this? Trenton, Michigan, south right. of Detroit. And you would just, uh, so for, it, it, you just took to it kind of from that moment? It yeah, just felt natural? I liked, yeah, I like bicycling, and I know I... It was just something I did for fun. I never thought of it as, as something I would do as an athlete. I'd always wanted to be an athlete when I was a kid, but to me that always meant running because that's what people did. They, they ran. Nobody rode bikes where I grew up. So it never occurred to me to be a cyclist. Wow. So here we are all these years later, and you are an athlete. You're a 45-year-old 40, mom, uh, one-time nurse practitioner, four kids, ages 12 to 16, and how do you describe yourself as a bicycle athlete, as a racer? <laughs> I guess I really don't. I think of myself more as a mom, and this is just something that I've been doing. Um, started out as a hobby, and then, you know, since I've become more competitive, it's, it's something a little more than a hobby, but I still think of myself as a mom first. When did, what was the tipping point for you? Um, well, I started out in triathlon, and then and when I did my first double century and, and finished first in front of everybody, even the guys, it was like, oh, wow, I, I think I found my thing. Um, this is something that I could be good at. And so fortunately, my family has been pretty supportive of letting me pursue that for the last few years. And so I built up to the, the level where I'm ready to, to tackle Race Across America. Wow. So uh, triple century, you said, right? Double. Double century. Okay, double century. That's, you know. One century would be enough to impress me. But so double century, that's the moment you kind of uh, felt your, I know you don't, you don't want to be boastful, but that's when you felt your power as a bicyclist. Just take me to that moment and finishing and, and winning that, I guess. Well, it was just kind of a surprise because obviously I trained for it and I expected to do reasonably well. But as, you know, as the day wore on and I'm still feeling great and doing great and the guys that I was riding with started dropping off and... Finally, I was with this one guy, and he's like, just go, go. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up finishing first, and I got to the finish line, and, and um, one of the guys came up to me, and he said, you're first. I said, I know. <laughs> Where was this? Where, what's the setting? Death Valley. Death Valley. Were you, just, were you dead tired, or were you euphoric at that point? Um, I was tired, but I, mean, I still felt pretty good. I mean, the worst the worst things, I think, were the contact points. I, I had ridden in triathlon shorts and triathlon shoes and, you know, all the triathlon stuff. So, <laughs> you know, my feet hurt. The very first thing I did when I crossed the finish line was take my shoes off. So there's a finish line picture of me standing there holding my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> not a trophy, not the, just no, your shoes. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't really get a lot in terms of prizes or trophies doing right. this stuff. So. Wow. So now you say race across America, which is no small thing. I've talked to people who have biked that before, and they talk about 
they have hallucinations along the way because you're so sleep deprived and it's such an extreme race. Um, how are you training for this? Well, it's it's been a process. It's been years. It's not just how I'm training for it now. It's been really three years of building up to it, doing double centuries and uh, 500 mile races and then faster double centuries and faster 500 mile races. <laughs> and eventually I, I did um, race across the West last year, which is the first 920 something miles of Ram. Wow. And and that, I mean, it wasn't, I didn't go into it as a, as a practice event, um, but it, it, you know, it does teach you a lot about RAM. And after that, that's when I decided to move on and tackle RAM. Wow. You know, I'm impressed because, like you say, you blend this into your everyday life. I mean, you're an, I mean, you're really an elite racer, I think, by any definition, but also you're this everyday bicyclist. And we're this everyday bicycling podcast about all things bicycle culture. And people and characters and good stories. So how do you, when you're training for years and years and years and you're biking for years, how do you blend this into your everyday life? Well, I've actually found it easier to blend into my life than more traditional racing, like, you know, like crits and things that happen on the weekend and mountain bike races. Um, I only race a few times a year. So for me, it's just cramming the training in where I can, whereas, you know, like if I had done the, the crit circuit, some of those that are like, you know, in the afternoon when my family's got stuff they want to do, and some of those races, like you can race every weekend if you want to. And so, to me, that would have been more time-consuming and intrusive than ultra cycling, where you know I get up at some crazy hour. I mean, I'd be on the road by three thirty or four, but you know, six hours later, I'm coming home. My kids are just getting up, so it's really no big thing to them. I might take a nap in the afternoon, and it's it's just not a huge deal. What do you think they've learned from that? Yeah. I don't know. You know, they're teenagers. I think a lot of this is just whoosh, you know. <laughs> but I do have a daughter that's very driven, and she was so funny the other day. She came home from school, and she said, Mom, you know, we were kind of crunched for time, and the social studies teacher said, you know, I'll accept less than perfect answers because we need to get this done. And she's like, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't give less than my best. I'm like, that's it. That is me and your dad right there, right there. <laughs> you know, I was so proud of her. I said, that's, that's how you live your life. Whatever you do, whatever you've chosen, give your best. And that's how you end up feeling good about yourself. Yeah. You get a lot, of, um, a lot of time out there on the road yourself, too, riding in the dead of night, I would imagine. It's very peaceful and calming in some ways. <laughs> Minus the herds of deer and <laughs> dogs. and I... I was just happy to not get skunked last week. I mean, I had a couple of close calls. That has an entirely different meaning than what I'm thinking about getting skunked in normal athletic competition. Yeah. You're talking about literally getting literally, skunked. Literally, yeah, getting sprayed by a skunk. Because um, all, the, all the critters are waking up in the spring and moving around a lot more. It's just, it was getting a little crazy out there. So are you like a bicycling family then, too? Are there moments when like, you're on the trail with, you know, you're kids and everything or what's that we like? did when they were younger now that they're moving into the teenage years they've got other interests so my son has been something of a bike commuter he would he would ride his bike to school um, but he's he's had to give that up now that he plays the French horn because he just can't strap that thing on there wow. <laughs> so he doesn't bike quite as much it's more just the occasional fun ride that they do they're really just not that interested in it 
That's great. I, I was, I'm a former French horn player myself, so I, I sympathize. Those things are not easy to carry. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you, you could strap it on there, but it would be awkward. So, <laughs> so when you're out there biking, I mean, whether it's a training ride or in the heat of competition, what are you thinking? Is there some sort of mental, uh, I don't know, mantra that propels you forward? Or how do you think about it? Well, I mean, your mind wanders. I think about what the family's doing at home. I think about things that I have to do. But really, what, what I learned to do years ago was replace all those things that go through your head about, I'm tired, this is boring. You know, I replaced that with song lyrics. I love it. And so I'm not naturally an aggressive or very assertive person. So I, I started listening to really aggressive, angry music. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and it stinks. I just summon up some five-finger death punch or slipknot or something. I mean, there's always something you can think of. And That's just great. let that run through my head. And it's it's far better than thinking about, oh, this is stupid, or I wish I was home, or the weather sucks. And that, I love that. So what's an example of a lyric that maybe is common for you that comes up? Oh, there's a Slipknot lyric. It's stop your bitching and fight your way through it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's from a song that, of course, doesn't have anything to do with anything nice or positive. <laughs> you know, just pull that up and stuff like that. I love, I love this notion of the bicyclist mom who is, she's the metalhead in the family and not the, all the teenagers that are coming, you know, that are listening. You're, you're, you're turning them on to metal instead of vice versa. That's, that's interesting. Well, my husband is too. You know, we're from Detroit, so we listen to all the, the good stuff. That's great. It, it's just, it's gotten a little harder and worse since I picked up cycling. <laughs> now, do you, are you listening, I assume you're, maybe you do. Is there some way you listen to music when you're out there on the road, on the bike? No, I never okay. do. Never right. outside. Um, the only time I listen to music when I'm outside is during oh. a race, if I've got my support car behind me, because I'll have a speaker. Oh. Um, and then I listen to it on the trainer. So I spend enough time on the trainer that I have most of those songs memorized. Wow. That's good. I, I have a feeling like the Slipknot guys, all the metal musicians are going to love this. That they're Maybe you'll get a sponsorship at some point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> From one of the bands. Slipknot, Machine Head, all that kind of stuff. That's good. Now, what is, so what has been, I mean, you've been doing this for a while. What has been the hardest thing physically for you to overcome in your bicycling career? particular injury or a particular technique or a particular, I don't know, style? Um, you know, my first handful of races, I had a lot of trouble with my feet, and it's just been a process of trying out different shoes so I could find a pair that, you know, I didn't end up in agony by the end of the race. I mean, there were times during Race Across the West, I mean, it literally felt like somebody was peeling the skin off the bottom of my feet, and you just, you know, you've got like an entire day ahead of you feeling like that, so... But fortunately, those things come and go, and you can work around them. But I think that's been the biggest source of my improvement in the last year is, you know, fine-tuning the nutrition and, you know, making sure my feet are okay. And then, fortunately, I haven't had a lot of saddle and bike short issues. Like, a lot of people suffer with that stuff. But really, fine-tuning that stuff is key to staying on the bike. Yeah. Yeah, I would need the angry music, too, at some point to get <laughs> to push myself past it. Yeah, I mean, there's another lyric right there. Is one of them is I choose not to feel the pain. <laughs> Who's that by? That I believe is Lamb of God. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, um, how, what part of your identity, or how have you 
dealt with being a uh, female bicyclist athlete. I don't know how much do you feel part of a scene and a culture? How much do you feel like you're still trying to advocate for women in your sport and there's still work to be done? Just where do, where do you stand and where do women stand in the races you participate in? Well, there's not a ton of women. There's more now than, than there was. Um, really, I've just tried not to think about it. I just barged right in and did what I felt like I could do and um, never made much of the fact that I was a woman. Mm. My first 500-mile race, I felt pretty damn confident about how I was going to do. So when they called people to the starting line, I was the first one up there and got right on the front, right next to all like the top guys. I'm like, I'm here, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because that's totally not me. But I figured, you know, with a race like that, you're out there with the men. You're doing the same course as the men. You're suffering through the same weather. And <laughs> the sense of accomplishment or the sense of fulfillment? Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just driven driven to be active. Um, even, you know, after Race Across America and, and all the attention and stuff goes away, I'll still be active. And um, yeah, I haven't spent a lot of introspective time thinking about why I do this. It's certainly not for the glory or the attention, because if you guys hadn't called me, I would have been totally fine with that. <laughs> just, just, you know, I'm, I'm shy, but I, I don't know where that drive comes from. I really don't. But I just know that I am driven, and I need to do this, and I'll think about why later. That's I like that. That's a, that was the perfect answer. Were your parents ever this way? Oh gosh, no, no. <laughs> my parents were pretty inactive. My mom was a smoker. Um, my dad uh, played some golf, but he was never real active. And I think they're just blown away by what I've done. I think they're like surprised and wondering why. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we came from a pretty blue-collar family, and people just worked and smoked, and, it, you know, nobody was an athlete. And I, I would assume you just plan to keep biking as long as you can, maybe not on the race across America, but a bicyclist for life in some way? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I have my own race now. I, I direct a gravel race, and I just picked up the Elkhart time trial. I'm also the race director for that, so... I'd like to stay involved in cycling in the area for a long time. And for me, I mean, I'm not a real touchy-feely person, all that rah, 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 let's, let's, you know, all hang together. I don't know, that doesn't ever <laughs> feel right for me. But what I can do for people is create opportunities. So if I put a race together, that's an opportunity for you to come and test yourself on something that's really difficult and learn something about yourself and experience terrain that maybe you wouldn't have thought to ride or roads that you've never seen before. So to me, I'd rather be involved by creating those opportunities for people. That's great. Do you have a favorite place in the country to ride at this point? Really, it's just Iowa so far. I mean, I've been all over the country. I've, I've enjoyed California. Um, I, I like northern Michigan, actually. That's a really cool place to ride. The scenery? And the, yeah. But south central Iowa gravel is just fantastic. What do you like about the gravel surface? Um, it's challenging. The hills are really steep and they're just relentless. Mm. Like you never get a break. So I can train on that stuff and go out west and not have any trouble with the mountain. I mean, to me, the, the, the only issue I ever have with the mountain is, of course, the altitude. We don't have altitude here, but, and then descending because descending here is completely different. But yeah, if you can train on the gravel here and survive 200 miles of gravel, you, 
ride anywhere in the country. <laughs> That's a great quote. I love that. <laughs> 200 miles of Iowa gravel will train the, the best bicyclist in the world. Um, well, this has been awesome, Sarah. Thanks so much for stopping by the podcast. I want to ask the question we ask everybody at the end of an interview, which is, what is your favorite kind of pie? Favorite kind of pie? Well, I'm allergic to wheat, so I don't get to eat pie. Oh. I'm a chocolate ice cream person. Chocolate ice cream. That's the first, well, that's the first chocolate ice cream answer we've gotten, so that's, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you. Hi, it's me, Andrea Parrott, and that's right, you're listening to another edition of Parrot Talk. So RAGBRAI week-long registrations are about to close on April 1st. And that got me thinking about how it's kind of registration season for summertime bike rides and how a lot of people are going to be finishing up their registrations soon for all sorts of rides across the country. So I thought today I would talk to you about one of the most common questions we get about people who are traveling to a big bike ride. Namely, how do you get your bike to the start of the ride? Because most people are not in the position where they can just ride to the start. I mean, and some people travel with clubs or teams or have someone that's willing to drop them and their stuff at the start and pick them up at the end. But a lot of people aren't so lucky and a lot of people are traveling from other countries or from way across the country where it really wouldn't be practical to drive. So that's where many people turn to the idea of shipping your bike. Now it is possible to ship your bike by yourself, especially if you know how to put a bike in a box already. And if you've never seen a bike box, they're about the size and shape of one that a flat screen TV would come in. And once you get that bike out of the box, it's kind of like trying to put a sleeping bag back in its bag. It's really hard to do unless you know exactly the knack of it. Another option is to take it to your local bike shop and have them disassemble it and put it into the box for you. Now, honestly, I would probably recommend this if you've never put a bike in a box before, just because it's no fuss, no muss, and you can have them do a tune-up for you at the same time. So you get your bike in the box. Now where are you going to ship it to? Who's going to hold it for you until you get to the ride? All these questions lead up to what I would recommend for people who really need to ship their bike to the start of a big ride, a bike shipping company. Now there are all sorts of bike shipping companies out there, but what they basically all do is you get your bike in that box and they will send you a shipping label and you send it and they will bring it to the ride for you and assemble it for you at the ride. Now, the best part about that deal is at the end of the ride, when you're tired, hungry, sweaty, whatever, they'll take your bike apart for you and put it in a box and just ship it back to your house so you don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to advertise for any one specific company. I know RAGBRAI has a list of bike shippers on our site, and a lot of other bike rides have stuff listed too. It'll just kind of depend on the region and which shippers will offer services there. The only other thing to remember with bike shipping companies is that they will have deadlines before the ride. So get this all straightened out early as possible so you can get back to worrying about your training miles instead of how you're going to get your bike to the ride. So that's your 10 cent summary of how to ship your bike to a bike ride. If you have any questions about that, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Just Go Bike. Don't forget to tag that Parrot Talk. That's one T for Parrot, one T for Talk. We also have an email for your longer questions at justgobikepodcast at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you and talk to you later. Hey, this is TJ with the Just Go Bike Podcast, and we're here in beautiful Lansing, Iowa, overlooking the Mississippi River. And I'm here with Craig White, who's with Main Street Lansing. And we're just going to talk a little bit about Ragbri and his visit to Lansing and also throughout Allen McKee County. How are you doing today, Craig? It's a beautiful day in Lansing. 
All right. Every day is a beautiful Every day. Every day is a beautiful day. Yes. Well, good. Well, is Lansing a little bit excited about Ragbri coming this summer? Oh, yeah. I can't tell you the uh, the energy level that's just taken off here in Lansing since the announcement. Uh, and as I was saying earlier, we've got people that remember the first visit 40 years ago, and uh, they're really excited to uh, re-experience uh, Ragbri coming here. Although I don't think they have anticipated yet the difference between 40 years ago and uh, the visit that will happen this year. So it'll be a really ex, uh, an interesting experience for us all. So for the person that is coming from, say, South Texas, it says, ooh, Iowa is flat. Yeah. Are they in for a surprise? It's a, it's, it'll be a big surprise for them. Um, and also, the, um, because we are um, focused more and more on tourism and, and hospitality, we have a plethora of uh, bed and bath um, facilities here. Lots of homes have been turned into B&Bs and are available. Plus, we have um, several hotels and motels around. So. Great. We see more and more of those coming online each year. I know we're we're looking forward to seeing in some of those places and, and experiencing some of that Lansing hospitality. But um, you know, it's just great to see. I think the people that we've come in contact with in Lansing have been just just so excited about this event this summer. And even though it's a big tourism town, I, uh, is there anything that's come close to the excitement of bringing a major event like Ragbri to town? Well, no. This is this is the biggest thing that's hit Lansing in forty years. So um, <laughs> it's it's a big deal. But um, um, uh, you know. The Driftless Center that we're built that has just been built and will be open at the end of the summer is um, another um, part of that hospitality industry that we're building here and the tourism built uh, industry that we're building here and it'll be a big big impact um, on our community and on Northeast Iowa uh, as a whole. So I hope everybody gets a chance to at least stop by the the Driftless Center and take a look at that. Give us an idea of what they might experience. I know it's not open yet, but what types of things will they be able to see at the Driftless Center? And where is it in relation to the route as it are coming into town? Sure. Um, uh, the riders will be coming in from the south side of Lansing, and they will go right past the um, Driftless area. And it, it sits on um, the most dramatic view of the Mississippi and the Black Hawk Bridge, which is a uh, uh, part of Lansing's history. So as you round that bend and you look down the river, that's the view you will have from the Driftless uh, Education Center. And the Education Center is here to um, to uh, impart knowledge about um, the Driftless area, how um, the geological formations were, um, well, actually um, were not scoured flat like the rest of Iowa by the, the glaciers that um, invaded this um, uh, area, you know, hundreds and thousands of years ago. Uh, and that's why it's called the Driftless, because uh, the glaciers did not drift into this area. And so we are left with this dramatic landscape of bluffs and hills. And uh, uh, the Driftless Center will teach you um, how that happened and um, why it looks the way it does. It's also an area that will um, document early industry in along the river, particularly in Lansing. So the uh, button making uh, industry that was here, the logging industry that was here, fishing, um, all of those things will be, um, you know, documented and will have displays that will teach people about the early history of Lansing. And then, of course, the wildlife along uh, in this area and uh, the fishing that's uh, in this area. So it's all it'll all be um, uh, connected 
and make sense once you've had a chance to, to actually walk through the, the displays and listen to the docents as they tell you about everything that's happened in Lansing for the past 100,000 years, actually. Okay. Well, we've been, only been coming since January, um, and every time we come out to the center, it is the most spectacular view of the river. Yeah, so really if, get off the bike, take a look. I mean, it's often we'll, we'll take a look. There'll be people fishing on the riverbanks like there are right now. But you'll see an eagle come by, a hawk come by without, you know, without a minute going by on your watch. So truly a spectacular view. You can come up here and just watch the bikes ride right by. And um, I think this is just just a, a great facility that will be online soon for all of Iowans and all visitors to to appreciate. So one of the questions that we do ask all of our guests, Craig, uh, Ragbri is known for pie. And if we had to ask you what your favorite slice of pie might be, what would it be? Well, lemon meringue. I mean, you can't okay. beat it. <laughs> so, well, We just popped over your baker had an amazing cinnamon roll and right in downtown in the historic downtown Lansing. And that was, that was pretty good, but, yeah. but lemon meringue pie, that's a first for the, for this podcast. So, okay. Any parting words that you want to tell people? Um, they're probably a good hundred plus days until, until Ragbri comes to Lansing. Anything, any words of wisdom? for them to get ready for it. I also want everybody to know that uh, we will have the Mount Hosmer challenge uh, when you're here. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it'll be a long day Des- up. Describe Mount Hosmer for, for those that, that were obviously a podcast. So okay. des- describe the ascent on Mount Hosmer. Mount Hosmer is the highest point in Northeast Iowa. And uh, we have a very windy and very steep grade road that rises to the top of Mount Hosmer. And uh, the story is uh, Mount Hosmer got its name from Harriet Hosmer, who was on a steamer that had pulled in and docked uh, in Lansing, and she challenged one of the crewmen to run to the top of Mount Hosmer. It was a race, a foot race, and Harriet Hosmer won. And uh, we have her time, and uh, we're not going to announce it now, but um, if you can beat her time to the top of Mount Hosmer, you'll get um, uh, a free patch or, or T-shirt. So All right. Sounds, sounds like a challenge that's thrown down by Harriet there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that was probably a few years ago, probably longer than 40 years yeah, ago. Yeah, a little longer than 40 years ago. Well, well so. good. Well, we'll have to take up that challenge maybe on, um, you know, a, a bike trip in here. If you don't get to do it, Rag Bright Time, great biking in this area. I don't think you can quite understand the beauty of this section of Iowa, the Driftless area, if you will, um, just truly spectacular views. The, the the vistas around here are just, you will not believe uh, the just the spectacular biking in this area. So thanks, Craig. We're going to be back in July. Uh, I know we, we're here every other week, so we get to, we get a sneak peek of what the town's all about uh, up until that point, but we'll keep people posted as we go along. And you can always go to alamakeeragbride.com and uh, check up on uh, uh, you know, what we're doing and how we're getting prepared and, and uh, what we have available for you. All right. Thanks. We've reached the end of the Jesco Bike Podcast. You can find our show notes at jescobike.net. What do you want to talk about on this show? We want to hear from you. So find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Jesco Bike.
It's always great hearing from people. We're starting to hear from more and more people. I know Andrea Parrott's been getting a few questions on on her uh, website about Parrot Talk and just asking different bike questions. So don't be quiet out there. We want to hear from you. What's going on? If you got some ideas for different guests on the show, don't be afraid to give us a shout. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we've got an idea that we might do a little bike meetup with the just go bike podcast team and just say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to meet over at this place and go for a little bike ride. So something's in the works. We'll let you know about that. Uh, when it's, when it's the right time, but stay tuned for that too. So that's all enough for now. Thanks for listening. And if you missed that April 1st RAGBRAI registration deadline, don't worry. You can still listen to the just go bike podcast. Subscribe today. April 1st. Hmm. I pity the fool that misses the RAGBRAI registration deadline. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. Let us know what you think of the show by leaving a rating and a review. They really help us out a lot and help others find the show. For more information, check out justgobike.net. The show's theme song was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Steer. Brian Powers is the show's producer, and the Just Go Bike podcast is brought to you by the Des Moines Register, a part of the USA Today Network.